This is Back in Millhaven. Just saying, I am not McGraw Millhaven. And I'm not Tom Becca. Good morning this morning. Good afternoon. Well, good evening. Hey, depending on when you're listening. Hey, good day. Just say good day. Good day today. Yeah. Good yeah. day. Uh, unless you're listening on KTRS, we're on the radio there Thursday nights. Uh, but, uh, uh, and if you're not listening on KTRS, you can also catch our podcast available wherever you get your fine podcasts. Spotify, iHeart, um, uh, iTunes, all that. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so you're in Omaha. And you're in, you're in St. Louis. And in between us is the city of Kansas City. Yes. We're a pretty big news story coming out of there. Yeah, this one is so, I mean, first of all, thank goodness this guy, this kid didn't die. Oh, God. Thank, thank goodness. Thank goodness. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe for people that aren't familiar with the story, let, let's tell a little bit about the story. Well, so uh, long story short, the kid is a 16-year-old black boy. Uh, is told by his parents, go pick up your brothers. And he, he goes to the wrong house. They say it's, you know, 115 Main. He goes to 115 Pine Street or whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. Actually, it was even more than that. It was like, uh, it was like it's 115 Main Street. He goes to 115 Main Avenue. Right, yeah. So it was, yeah. yeah, so it was, it was not like a complete mistake. It was just, you know, and I think it was the difference between the street and the parkway or something, you know, which, which um, you know, we've all done a time or two at, uh, if you're yeah. looking for a house, yeah. The 10 o'clock at night, the 85-year-old man was asleep. He gets up. He hears somebody knocking on his door. He grabs a gun. He opens up the door. He shoots the kid in the head. And then he shoots the kid in the arm. The kid is able to get up and run to another house and call for help, though the other houses wouldn't open the door for him. Finally, after the third or fourth house, the homeowner said, I'll open the door for you, but get down and um, get down on the ground and I'll open the door. They call the police. They come, they bring him to the hospital. He's now home uh, uh, recuperating. They arrest the homeowner. Um, and how do you even begin to to sort this nightmare out? Okay, so the homeowner is 85 years old. And people are some people are upset because the police held him for like two hours and then sent him back home. They didn't charge him right away. He has been charged now, right. uh, but uh, he wasn't charged right away. Um, and some people were some people were upset with that. Um by the way, this is so sad on so many different levels. It's, it's tragic on so many different levels because you've got a young kid, good kid, by the way, good kid by all. Uh, uh, Honor student, band, nice yeah. kid in the world, yeah. Yeah, you know, you got an 85-year-old man uh, who's been, you know, frightened, you know, his whole life by, you know, all the, you know, his old guy doesn't know how to, you know, what's going on there. He sees a young black man. He gets uh, paranoid. And, you know, shoots him thinking that he's standing his ground, which he wasn't because he was never in any real threat. You know, what do you do? I mean, with an 85-year-old guy, what, you, you know, you want to just lock him away? A 30-day might be a life sentence in his case. I mean, what? Well, you know, I, not, that, not that I'm not uh, obviously what the homeowner did I was wrong. And I, I even feel awful that I have to preface this. But and not that I'm coming to the 85-year-old's defense. but. Um, you're 85 years old. You live alone. You probably watch news shows all day long. Mm -hmm. He's probably in the heightened state of, you know, they're all coming to get me anyway. Not to mention he's 85 years old. Does he have all his faculties? Is he, you know, whatever else you're already scared, 85 years old. You're already living by yourself. You're already in this cocoon where this echo chamber, 
And then your worst fears come to calling when it's 10 o'clock at night and you open up the door and it's a black man there, a black boy. I, I, I don't I, 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 I oddly enough, I feel quite sympathetic for this 85 year old man, even though he should know better. Um, I'm not saying he shouldn't. I'm not saying he's he's not uh, worthy of being punished. I just feel sorry for the guy. I know. I, I I agree, and I definitely feel sorry for the uh, the young man. You sure, know, the, absolutely. I mean, this story, this story is sad on so many different levels. You know, there, there, there's no, you know, I mean, there's no real bad guy in this. You know, uh, other than maybe maybe just what this guy has been led to believe. This 85 year old guy has been led to believe. Like you said, you know, he sits around. Maybe he's online on the internet on some chat rooms. Uh, you know, the uh, NRA's out there pushing guns left and right. And uh, and fear left and right. Right. So, you know, here he goes. He doesn't know what to do. And as far as I also, I'm also going to give the neighbors a little bit of slack that didn't open the doors right away. You know, at 10 o'clock at night, some kid is like on your door. He's bleeding. You don't know. I mean, you know what? And by the way, I don't know this neighborhood. Do you know this neighborhood? I don't know. You know I don't. All I, I you lived in Kansas City for a while. All I've been told is that it's a you know nice middle class neighborhood. I don't think yeah. it's upper end you know high end million dollar homes, but I don't think it's you know I think it's from what I, I've been told, it's a middle class neighborhood. I'm not sure what I would do if if, if at ten o'clock at night there was some you know kid on my black or white some kid on knocking on my door at ten o'clock at night you know bleeding. I'm not sure what I would do. I, I might just, you know, call nine one one and hope they let them handle it. But you know, well, would you? But yeah, but would you go grab a gun and, and open the door and no, shoot? No, 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 no. I'm talking. I'm talking about after the fact. I'm talking about after the fact. No, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, the guy, the kid rang the doorbell. You know, if you're going to rob a place, you're going to break into a place. You don't ring the doorbell, do you? Well, and and uh, I mean, look, I had uh, we had Greg Willard on our legal guy on the show, whatever day it was. And I asked him, I was like, well, I was like, I get I get my milk delivered. You know, I, I have Amazon drop off packages. My my mailman's a great guy, but he always hands me the wrong mail. So, I, I mean, how, how, can I go and shoot them if I'm somehow feeling, you know, threatened? I've had people come to my door the other day. Somebody came to my door wanting to pair my trees. And I was like, I never called you. He's like, oh, sorry, wrong address. Am I allowed to shoot him? Right. I mean, wh 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 where does this not. castle doctrine and the stand your ground sort of? I mean, what when is you when is it really a perceived threat? And when is it just because I feel threatened? Well, that's it. I mean, and that's what the courts will have to decide here. Uh, and again, you know, the guy's 85 years old. I mean, there's there's not. You know, like I, said, I feel sorry for everybody concerned. I mean, you know, I mean, you can't just. It's not like it's not like you've got some guy here that does, um, um, you know, noticeably racist and that. This is some old scared guy. Yeah. Um. I mean, I, and, and again, I don't know if he had, you know, what his history is as far as if he's been out there, you know, posting, you know, racist memes or something like that. I don't know, but um. It's just uh... well, I mean, it's you know, and who knows what would have happened if the kid was white, right? But you have to ask the question, right? I yeah. mean, it's a white man and a black teenage boy, so you have to ask the question. But then, you know, this then gets into the whole conversation of driving while black, which so many people love to say doesn't happen. 
Um, you know, I've had enough black friends over the years and have these conversations where there's, there's I have yet to meet a black friend of mine when this conversation comes up that doesn't have story after story about being pulled over driving for no other reason than they're in a nice car in a nice neighborhood and they're black. I've got a story uh, regarding that. And this one, I haven't talked to the man yet about it because I don't know what to say about it. But it just it it, it it ticked me off. It angered me. And I felt sorry for this guy. There's a friend of mine. Uh, he is a, a a state senator. He's an accomplished lawyer. He's an African-American man. There was a big banquet. And he's in a tuxedo. It's a you know, formal, you know, nice banquet. He's in a tuxedo. How long ago was this? This was like last week. Oh. Like last week. Last weekend, I think. Uh, and uh, he's in a tuxedo. And one of the people at this banquet like, asked him to, you know, bring another bottle of wine. <laughs> and not like, and not like, uh, hey, 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 you're heading over that way. Can you bring over a bottle of wine? You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you asked a friend, hey, you know. Right. You, he was you treating know, him like a staff, mustard, you know. Like he was on the staff. Like he was on the staff. Yeah. And this is, this is a state senator, state senator, accomplished lawyer, good guy, wearing a tuxedo. And it was assumed that, well, he must be, he must be with some of the help. Right. Um, I can't imagine. I, I, you know, I can't imagine what uh, how that must make a person feel. Well, look, I, I am man enough to admit that I'm sure I have thought those thoughts too from time to time. I, I look if, if I don't, I, if, if we're being totally honest, I don't know if at ten o'clock at night, if I see a black boy at the door, I'm going to open up the door and say, "What do you need?" You know, you know what? I'll tell you what, though. You're going to get grief from people because you're calling him a boy. At 16, is he a boy? Is he a young man? You know? I, I, and I, I, and, I, know. and I understand. But, you know, but but again, if he was a white if he was a white kid and you called him a boy, you wouldn't get, you know. But a I kid, mean, young I mean, adult, it's, it's, I don't know, 16 years. If, if a 16, uh, I don't check the age of the person when I'm looking at the window. The point is, I think we have to at least acknowledge. I don't know if this is uh, race is in here somewhere, but also race isn't in here somewhere. You know, gun violence is in here somewhere, but gun violence isn't in here somewhere. The 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 are the politicians selling crime to get electeds in there? Um, I mean, this this is a culmination of the last you know twenty years surfacing all at once on a random knock on a door in the middle of the country. Well, yeah, but uh, you asked a great question: Are politicians uh, selling crime? The answer is yes. Look what happened in New York the other day, right? You had Jim Jordan there. Going after uh, the Judiciary Committee there, the Congressional Judiciary Committee, uh, going after uh, the uh, district attorney of uh, New York City about the crime in New York City because they're trying to protect Donald Trump. In the meantime, in Jordan's own district, crime is much uh, uh, more prevalent than it is in New York City. Yeah, politicians politicians sell crime all the time. Crime, crime is a great motivator. Yeah, crime sells. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. a great motivator. And, and and so we have overcrowded prisons. And that's the other thing, too. These politicians, they go and they say, I'm going to be tough on crime, and I'm not going to raise your taxes. So what do you have? You have overcrowded prisons without the resources to rehabilitate or to uh, try to you know, uh, stop the recidivism. Um, in the meantime, you know, they're out there pushing fear, saying, vote for me, or some, some kids are going to come to your door and rape your grandma. You know, I mean, it's it's uh, it's very sad. But the reality is, for the most part, we're pretty damn safe. Yes. 
Yes. Except did you now two days later, the story in Albany, New York, where this 20 year old white girl is driving with her friends. Have you heard this this story? No. So two days later, after this happens in Kansas City, this white woman, 20 years old, white girl, whatever you want to call her, female, young adult, 20 years old, driving in a car. They're looking for their friend's house. They pull up to the wrong house. And they're they're turning around in the driveway. They don't even get out of the car. They're turning around in the driveway. Oh, the, owner, the owner of the house gets out and starts shooting. And one of the one of the bullets kills the girl in the car. They rush to the hospital. She dies at the hospital. They come back to arrest the homeowner. There's a standoff. They ultimately take him in. But this guy comes guns a-blazing because somebody pulled into his driveway and was turning around. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, again, this this constant fear everyone's on edge that oh my goodness this car is coming into my driveway they must be here to kill me let me kill them first and all these politicians are so afraid of the nra they won't do anything about gun violence you know i i I had a conversation with our congressman don bacon this last saturday had a conversation with him we talked about the gun violence and i mentioned he, he he said he said he said that he's for red flag laws only though the red flag laws have got to be better than what they've had in the past. But she brought up, I think, a valid point in that you can't just have some disgruntled ex-wife or girlfriend, you know, call up and say this person's a threat and have them come and take away your guns. So I understand that. There needs to be more than just, you know, some, you know, angry, some person you've angered to file a complaint. But at the same time, at the same time, they're doing nothing to fix the law. They don't do anything to, to fix it or try to improve it. They won't even discuss it. You know, it's just like you can give lip service to, well, I support red flag laws, but they've got to be they've got to be properly enforced. Okay, valid. What are you doing to enforce it? It's like the same thing. They'll say, you know, immigration, we need to secure the border. Okay, fine. What does that mean? You're never going to have zero. What's the number when you'll think the border is secure? They won't tell you because it's just easier to frighten you with the idea that, you know, or your job's being taken by some illegal immigrant. You know, and they're and they're coming through across the border in hordes, and uh, you're going to, uh, you know, uh, have your life ruined by this. It's easier for them to frighten you with that than to actually, you know, say, okay, here's the number we think the border will be secure, and here's the resources we've given to reach that number, and here's what the plan is. Because they'll never do that because it's more, it, it, it's a, it's a better issue to keep you frightened, to keep you uh, scared. And uh, get them, uh, keep them in office. We got a break. Tom Becker, McGraw Millhaven. I just sort of, went on a rant. I sort of went off on a rant there, didn't I? Oh, I, you went on a rant. And I how often do you talk to Don Bacon? It sounds like you guys got this guy's. It, it sounds like you guys have lunch every Saturday. You know what? Don Bacon is a good. Don Bacon is is a good Republican congressman, and I'll, we'll talk about that after we return from this quick break on the Big Five Fifty KTRS. We are back. This is Beck and Millhaven just saying. I'm Tom Becker. He's McGraw Millhaven. Um, no, I, I, Don Bacon is the. Uh, he, 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 <laughs> I hate to put it this way, but it's true. He's one of the good Republicans. He's not a crazy Republican. You know, he, he's, 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 a, he's a pragmatic one. He's no Marjorie Taylor. Oh, he's, he's one of those rhinos. Yeah, he, oh, precisely. He's one, of those, he's one of those fake ones. Precisely. Yeah, he's really a liberal. Yeah, uh, yeah. He wants to take my gun away from me. He's a liberal. Yeah, I, 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 I can't, I can't have a shoulder-fired missile. This this guy's a liberal. 
I've had people say to me, Tom, what did you become such a liberal? I got the same policies I've always held. It's just that everybody's gotten so crazy around me that uh, it seems like I'm some sort of leftist now. So I I, uh, I get into uh, discussions with my eighth grade social studies teacher from time to time on Facebook. And I I always drive him crazy when I come up with a philosophy or a comment that he doesn't like. He often says, you're so misguided, right, or something, to which I respond, well, I learned it from my eighth grade social studies teacher, so blame him. <laughs> oh, man, I, wish, I, I, don't, I, I don't even know if she's still alive. I wish I had uh, my, uh, my, my, uh, my seventh grade uh, social teacher, uh, history and social science teacher, Sister Marlene. She was the best. I, next to my parents, Sister Marlene had the biggest impact in my life. Really? I wish I, I, wish I could talk, talk to her on Facebook every now and then. I'd love to hear what she has to say about things uh, that are going on right now. She was in Omaha or in uh, in Cleveland? And uh, actually, in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, yeah, yeah. You should try and track her down. Uh, we I did like oh god, twenty years ago or so. We had a nice little conversation, but I haven't. You know, I don't sort of lost touch. Uh, you know, speaking of that, I had a priest friend of mine who was a dear, dear friend of mine growing up. I tried to uh, reach out to him a few years ago. Turned out he was one of the priests who were doing something wrong. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, they found it. They uh, busted him. When I knew him, he was uh, he was an umpire. And he, he was a Jesuit priest, and he was an umpire. And what he told us was that he um, sort of, uh, his calling was to help young kids. And the best way he found out to, you know, reach out to young kids was to meet them in the sporting events, right? Meet them on their ground. So he was an umpire for baseball season. He was a basketball ref. And uh, Father John, he's the greatest guy in the world, uh, went out to dinner with him a couple of times. N- never a hint of anything. My, uh, I was like, hey, uh, Grandma, you know, Father John wants to take me to dinner. My grandmother was like, under no circumstances are you to go to dinner with a priest. And I was like, why? And I didn't quite get it at the time. I mean, we're talking, you know, early 80s. And they would, they would just say, absolutely, uh, no circumstances. So one day he, he came over to the house, met my gra- grandparents. I came in and I walked in and she said, you can go to dinner with Father John whenever you want. Not, oh, my goodness, what a nice man, right? So we go out to dinner, have a nice time. I kept in touch with him through the years, but then sort of lost track. They, then they transferred him up to Stanford, Connecticut. And when I was playing summer baseball, I'd go. Oh, anyway, they transferred him, did they, to another yeah. city? Yeah. yeah, they transferred him to uh, Stanford, Connecticut. Why? Because that's what they do, right? That's, you know, I, I didn't I didn't understand why. Um, and so every time I was playing up in Stanford, Connecticut, I'd always stop by and we'd always chat and check in and how you doing? It couldn't have been any nicer. About five, six years ago, I was like, hey, what happened to Father John? And lo and behold, he was caught up in some Internet, you know, child ring or something that the Westchester police had, had put up and. Yeah, so there you go. Broke you know, It broke here, my heart. Here's the thing. I find this fascinating, the psychological aspect of it fascinating. Because I remember there was a priest when I was a kid, and I must have been, I was in junior high, maybe not early years of high school at the time. And there was a priest, I was probably, probably junior high, uh, I guess it's called middle school now, um, that uh, he was transferred to some small, you know, rural community, right? And like everybody was talking about why he was transferred. As I was almost like they knew, you know, well, yeah, you know, he was doing some, he was doing some things with, uh, inappropriately with some young boys, but um, he'll, he'll, he'll be better in this small town. 
you know, like you know, they 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 knew, right. but they wouldn't they wouldn't condemn him because he was a priest and part of their religion, and therefore one of them, and therefore they 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 knew what he was doing was wrong, but they wouldn't say anything. The same thing I see that, you know, with with, with the Trump phenomenon. You know, I mean, I I've, I've talked to people that, you know, will tell you that they think that Trump is, uh, you know. That, that he's done, you know, most of these things he's being accused of doing, but they're still going to vote for him if he's the nominee. And it's just like, how do you, how do you not divorce yourself from this behavior? I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get, I don't understand that uh, that mindset. No, I've never really equated it to um, the defending of the pedophile priests. I know you, I, I know you're not calling him a pedophile priest, but no. it, it is interesting how. And, and liberal politicians have this as well. Think of Cory Bush here in Missouri um, or this Kim Gardner, who's a sort of local story here, where their supporters just look beyond the most obvious faults that the rest of us are like, can't you see how inept she is or how she is ruining your cause? And yet they see it as, oh, my goodness, if I abandon her, I'm somehow abandoning my cause. If if I abandon Donald Trump, oh my goodness, that means Joe Biden wins. But, but, um, it's not, but yeah, but it's not even politics and religion. It's also sports. I mean, you know, there, there's a player that beats his wife playing for the other team. Well, if he's playing for the other team, he's the devil. He gets credited to your team. It's like, well, she must have said something to really upset him. You know, I mean, you know, it, it, I mean, it, it's it's that whole that whole um, mob mentality sort of a thing that that I I don't get. I've always been, you know. I've always, I guess, been sort of a loner, you know, on my own, which, of course, when you say you're kind of a loner, that means that, you know, next thing you're going to do is go and, you know, shoot up a shopping mall or something. But Well, uh, I told you, I told you this story. I told this story, I might have told this this story the other day on the air. Maybe I was off the air. But when when we were in Kansas City for the Royals-Mets World Series game, we were game one. Uh, you're wearing your Royals gear. I'm wearing my Mets gear, right? We're best friends, and we're going to the game. You're a Royals fan. I'm a Mets fan. We're going to the game together. We go to the game. We're sitting there, and I want to go get a hot dog and a soda. So I go down, and this was right around the, the time the whole Ferguson riots were happening in St. Louis, where it was very, you know, a lot of racial angst going on. And I go down the steps, and there's a black man, young man, didn't catch his age, but he's wearing a Mets jersey. And he hugs me like I'm his long-lost brother. <laughs> right, like we need to stick together. We're at Kauffman Stadium, and we're Met fans, and we we know we know the sacrifice we have put up with his Met fans. And so, by God, he gives me a hug like he hasn't seen me in six months, and I'm his long lost brother. Right, and I I remember walking. I was like, wow, that was really interesting because he didn't see the color of my skin; he only saw the color of my jersey. Right. So I walk down the steps. I'm now standing in line, um, at the at the at the at the food line right i want a hot dog and a soda and the lines you know a couple people there so i'm waiting there minding my own business and the woman in front of me is decked out in a royals outfit she's got royals earrings a royals hat she's got a scarf and right she looks at me and she says why don't you blankety blank 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 go home you loser well, she <laughs> was, was, hey, you're, you're a new york fan she wanted to make you feel at home <laughs> what's up so I was like, this lovely white old grandmotherly lady is not looking at the color of my skin. She's only looking at the color of my jersey. 
And so she hates me, but the black kid loves me. It was the it was like the weirdest juxtaposition in a very weird time in America. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah it, it is fascinating. And that, that's one of the things. I'm, by the way, I said I'm a loner. I'm not really a loner. I'm just not a joiner. I'm not, no, I'm you're not, not a loner. Just nobody really likes you. So and you, that's true, too. That might have something to do with it. I, I'm just I'm just not a joiner. I'm not a joiner. You know, I, I get invited to, you know, join these clubs like the Kiwanis Club or Rotary and all that stuff. And, you know, God love them for it. They do some really good uh, civic work. And I'll support them and I'll promote their, um, you know, their, their activities and that and give them money and stuff. But I'm not going to go to their clubs. I'm not going to go to their meetings. I'm just not I'm just not that joiner. I'm just, I really I'm, wouldn't go to any club that would have you as a member anyway. Thank you, Groucho Marx. Oh, See what I did there? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Comedy, baby. Comedy no, is fine. Really? Yeah, I have found that if you have to tell somebody it's comedy, it probably isn't. Oh, you're, you're one of those comedians, aren't you? <laughs> I'm just telling you, having spent five years on the road doing stand-up, I'm just telling you that's been my experience. <laughs> <laughs> When you when you have to tell someone it's a joke, it's really not that funny. It really is. Yeah, yeah. You're just you're you're just digging a deeper hole. <laughs> I went to a uh, I went to a comedy club the other night, and the the comedian was so awful. He was fascinating. I couldn't get enough. He was talking about how his mother was dying, and he was going to visit his mother in the hospital, and it was just so depressingly unfunny. It was hilarious. And the guy like knew it wasn't funny, but he was still telling the story anyway. He's like, hold on a second. It gets better. It really didn't get any better. <laughs> it was just, it was the the one funny line he had was, he's like, you know, my mother's dying of breast cancer and this and that. We got to put her house in order. And, you know, I go and visit her and she she motions me to come up to her and she whispers in my ear and she says, I think Tom Brady is getting a divorce. As a as a former stand-up comic who has bombed a time or two on stage. Yes. Yeah, I I'll tell you uh, it, there's nothing there's nothing like it when you're up there and you realize oh this ain't going anywhere. How do I get them back? You know, and that that's and all, all the only and the only people that are laughing are the two other comedians in the back of the room because <laughs> they know what you're going through and they think it's hilarious because it's not them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think I, I, I when you say, when you say, um, you know, atomic bombing is, is funny. I, I, I agree. I mean, I feel sorry for the guy, but you know, deep down inside, I'm taking some, some joy in his suffering. Yeah. <laughs> is, is when you were a comic, did you ever purposely get up on stage and bomb? No, 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 no. I, I, no, I did, I did, I did purposely get on stage and tell some jokes that I knew might get a groan or might alienate some people and then try to get them back. But I never went up there and said, I'm just going to go up there and try to suck. You know, I never, you just did it naturally. I just, just, just came, and sometimes it's the audience. Sometimes it's me. I mean, you know, it, it can be the audience, but um, uh, I always liked following, I always liked following a comment that really bombed. Of course you did, because anything you said was funny. My first line would be like, okay, I'd like to slow things down now if I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The crowd would laugh, and then I had them, yeah.
Yeah. yeah, and the and the other comedian wasn't very helpful. You're like uh, the other comedian was like, "Hey, screw you, Tom." Hey, pal, you're up there. It's every man for themselves, you know. Uh, uh, I'll buy him a beer later and apologize, but uh, yeah. I I I just am so in love with comedians. I think the whole genre is just fascinating. Have you ever have you ever gone and tried to do stand up? I have, I have. I went up. Um, Jr. My cousin and I wrote a set. I was in Denver before I met you. I was at the I was at the club where Rosie O'Donnell got her start. Yeah, not not works, Rosie O'Donnell. Yeah. Um, um, uh, uh, Roseanne Barr. Bar. Roseanne Barr. And uh, it was it was open mic night, and I got up and I killed. I mean, I killed. The head of the club came up to me and said, "Oh man, that was fantastic. Do you want to come back next week?" I'm like, "I'll let you know, sure." And never went back. Never went back. Really. Yeah, no, I I scratched the itch, I scratched the itch, yeah. Oh man, now now um, I uh I I went up one time I went up one time just to say that I had done it, and I went up to an open mic night there in Albuquerque, and I, I too I had a really good first set. I don't I wouldn't say that I killed, but I got enough laughs and I felt good about things, right? And after the after the the my set, the club owner came back and said, "Hey, you're pretty good. Keep coming back." And that's all I needed to hear. So I started coming back. For me, it was like, well, okay, if I didn't suck, then maybe I can go and do this. So I kept coming back. And um, I got addicted to it. I got hooked. And there's. Now, so yeah, no, I mean, that's what everybody says. But I will say this when I cracked the mic for the first time at three o'clock in the morning at KFAB and said, it's, you know, 27 in Omaha, 29 in Lincoln, it's 3 a.m. on KFAB Omaha. And I sat back and I, at that point, I said, oh, uh, now I'm not doing anything else for the rest of my life. I, I, look, I know the first time I walked into a radio station, the first time I walked into that studio and, you know, thought there was a chance I could get on the air. I just, yeah, I, the same thing, man. It was like, it was like uh, lightning bolts went off, you know, yeah. it's like uh, the heavens were speaking to me and saying, yeah, this is it. And then, um, and that was back when I was I was a disc jockey playing music. And then I went and did comedy for five years, went on the road and did comedy. And that's when talk radio started happening. And I said, well, I can do talk radio. With my comedy experience, my background there, and my radio experience, I, I can do I can do talk radio. So when I started doing talk radio and and that and that hit, it, it, you're right. It was just a, a feeling like you, you can't describe when when you find something that you were meant to do. When we come back, I'll tell you my uh, I'll tell you my kicker joke, my, what joke? My, my ending joke, my ending joke. My oh, kicker. From your, my, from my joke. Your your kicker. My kicker. My end joke. My 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 grand finale on my first and ever stand up comedy routine. Oh, I can hardly wait. Whenever somebody sets something up like this, it never goes well. You'll want to <laughs> stay tuned just just to hear it bomb next. On the Big 550 KTRS. Three, two. We are back. And now, uh, before we go on, I want to let everybody know that what McGraw's about to say is a joke. It's comedy. Uh, that, so let, let them know that it's a joke. Unlike the rest of the things we talk about here, yes, it's yes. a joke. They're, they're jokes, but it's not comedy. I, I, still so, can't believe that you, I still can't believe that you said you killed on stage and never went back. But yeah, no, I, no, I did it once, and I, I was like jumping out of an airplane. It was like one of these things I was petrified to do, and I did it, 
and I got the laughs and I walked home and I was like, eh, I'm good. I'm good. I didn't want to do it. Radio was a different story. Okay. So circa 1992, 1993, Denver, Colorado, JR and I had just moved to Denver, Colorado. He was working for the Rocky Mountain News and I was working a suit and tie job. And him and I put our heads together. He did most of the writing. And um, here, here was the kicker. Here was the final joke. I said, uh, I said, I moved to Denver about a year or so ago. And, you know, was, I thought I was, thought I was living in a modern day version of, of the Flintstones. You have towns called Castle Rock and, uh, you know, Castle Rock and, and, um, you know, Boulder. You've got, um, you got uh, bars like Rock Bottom and, you know, Slates. And I said, then you have the teams, they get a team and they call them the Rockies and the Denver Nuggets. I said, I was living in a modern day version of the Flintstones. And then it got really weird when they elected Wellington Webb as the mayor of Denver. Do you know Wellington Webb's wife's name is Wilma? Wilma Webb? Good night, everybody. So long. And that was your big finale closing joke? That was my finale. And, and the owner of the club said that you killed? Yeah, I killed. I I'm a little believe... rusty. I haven't told the joke in 30 years. Although I will admit that if you've got the crowd growing on something, if you have the crowd growing on something, then uh, they'll laugh at something that isn't funny just because of your timing and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, yeah, I had a couple of jokes about, you know, five points. You know why they call it five points? Because every time you drive through, uh, you get five points on your license. You know, that's, you know. That's, that's not a bad line. That's not a, that's bad, a bad line. line. But I mean, come on, Wilmer Webb. I mean, that, that that's 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 Flintstones. That's funny, man. Wilma Webb, the mayor's wife's name was Wilma. Uh, whatever. Uh, do you remember? Do you remember the um, uh, uh, remember the when people had those Garfield dolls strapped to their car, like the suction cups, and they'd be on like on their car windows. Uh, vaguely, I I remember more like baby on board, and then it said like jerk on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, th these were these were like Garfield uh, stuffed animals with suction cups on the paws, and they would like people were like putting them on uh their their side windows and stuff. Like Garfield was trying to get out or something. Uh, and I remember my, my first my first joke. I got up on stage and said, "Saw the damnedest thing today. Saw Garfield driving a BMW with some yuppie kid stuck to the window," which has no bearing in the year 2023 because a nobody knows what the hell a yuppie kid is you know what, what what's a yuppie what's a yuppie and garfield is nothing anymore but back in this would have been like what maybe 85 86 something like that it was a cultural phenomenon i killed anyway and you're and you're yelling at me about my flintstones joke you know what the nice thing about this is that by this point in time, nobody's listening anymore to hear us bomb. So that that's nice. That's nice. We got that going for us. <laughs> God love you. Yeah, that going for us, man. I tell you. Oh, uh, so anyway, so as I mentioned earlier, um, well, I don't even know why I bring it up now. Uh, yeah, but Don Bacon, our congressman, he's he's one of the moderate Republicans. He's what the Republicans used to be, you know. But he won't get the. He, he's getting some national media. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I see him quite a bit. He is getting some some attention, but uh, but not but doesn't get the emotional response that uh, a Marjorie Taylor Greene gets, you know, because she gets people all riled up one way or the other. 
you know, I don't know how I don't know how Marjorie Taylor Greene. I don't know how anybody can take her seriously when she somehow was defending the guy, the National Guardman, who was leaking top secret documents. Yeah. I, I mean, I doesn't. Uh, I get you don't like Joe Biden, but do you not like the country? Do you not like? Do you like putting our troops in harm's way? I, I mean, yeah. I, I, how how do you justify somehow supporting the guy? who took the documents, stole them, and then posted them online. I got even, even a better thing in Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's an anti-vaxxer, right? You know, can't force me to get a vaccination, right? She's complaining now because all these illegal immigrants are coming into the country and have not been vaccinated. But she's using <laughs> that as a way to blame Joe Biden. You know, it's just like, oh, dear God. Where's, where has common sense gone? Where has common sense gone? <laughs> um. Well, you've, you've heard now the technology they used for the COVID vaccine, this mRNA technology. Yeah. They've, they've now uh, are very optimistic about um, a uh, cancer drug that is mixed with an mRNA vaccine for skin cancer. And that apparently using these two drugs together, there's no relapse in this these cancer cells coming back and that this mrna vaccine is like turning its own immune system on itself so it's using its own immune system to then tackle these cells these these cancer cells and it's it's a wonderful story about how this new mrna technology is being used for you know to to fight cancer you know which you have to, which you have to ask you yourself if they were against it for the COVID vaccine, are they going to be against it if it can save them from cancer? Um, well, probably. Um, you know, here's the thing that's so, so fascinating. You, you look at what's happening with science in general. And, I, you know, whether it be mRNAs, whether it be the medical profession, whether it be the artificial intelligence and all of that, it's just like so much stuff that's going on that is so far above my pay grade. It's um, it, it'll drive me nuts if you really think about it. I did not see this yet. I'm going to watch it online. I haven't seen it yet. Did you watch? Did you watch 60 Minutes this last Sunday? Um, I did. What 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 show? Uh, about what the artificial episode? intelligence. The the Google, the Google guy was. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't see that one. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I want I want to see that because uh, that sounds pretty fascinating. I'm uh. I know. I know people are freaking out over this Chat GTP. I don't really get it. I mean, I don't get how it's going to overtake the world. Well, what I don't get is how this artificial intelligence seems to have feelings and stuff, you know, trying to tell people to leave their wives and uh, she doesn't love you. You know, you love me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it, it, this is you're talking to a damn computer and it's saying this. Do you ever I, see that movie, Her, with um, not River, with River Phoenix's uh, brother? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, it was yeah. called Her. No, and he had fallen. Oh, it's a pretty good movie. He had, had fallen in love with his operating system. <laughs> and he had like fallen in love with his phone, and his phone had like talked back to him. And he was he was having this weird relationship with his phone, and how much he loved his phone. And then he meets Amy Adams. And him and Amy Adams become friends. And he's like kind of sweet on Amy Adams. And he's thinking about leaving his phone for Amy Adams. 
And Amy Adams is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm in a relationship. And he was like, oh, tell me about your your boyfriend. She's like, oh, no, it's my phone. It's the XJ59. You know, and so she can't date him because she's in love with her phone. And it was this whole sort of sort of symbolic movie about how we love our phones more than we love other human beings. What is so weird about that is that that almost seems plausible in this day and age. Oh, it was, I mean, it was really I mean, pretty that, good. You know, I mean, that almost seems plausible. It's like, well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to uh, go out with you, but I, I'm on Facebook tonight and, uh, <laughs> and I'm in a, I'm in a chat room. I'm I have to catch chat- up. I have to catch up with my Instagram posts. Oh yeah. No, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird, that phone is, is it called her. I think it's called her. Yeah. It came out a couple of years ago and it, it was came out a couple of nominations, but it's a pretty bizarre movie where you're like, this is weird. And it's almost like you're laughing, but, but you laugh at it in a very awkward way. Cause you're like, Oh, I'm guilty of that. Oh, I'm guilty of that. We pretty much are living in like a 1970s era science fiction movie. I mean, when you think about it, you know, with the exception of the Jetsons flying cars, you know, with, with the handheld computers we have in our hands, with everything else that's going on, it almost is like uh, we are living in a 1970s era, a science fiction movie. You got Elon Musk and rockets up to the moon, uh, you know, individuals doing that sort of thing. It's well, you have you have people who you have people who don't really want to have sex anymore. There's no need to have sex anymore. You can go online and have sex or have your relationships or, right? You can have computers. I, I, you, you, you're, you have more intimacy with a computer than, than you do with a human. I still want to have sex, but my phone always has a headache. See, now that's the type of comedy that would have kept you on the circuit. Not the <laughs> Garfield joke. Drop the Garfield joke. Some of these jokes are just for me, you know? <laughs> All right, are we at, are we out of time yet? I believe it's about that time. Yes, give or take a minute or two. So uh, this was this was fun. You know, that's what I like about this podcast. We talk about some serious stuff, and then we just go off on some weird tangents. And well, yet, at least some, some, at least somebody likes the podcast. Yeah, no, the 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 numbers are growing. You know, little by little. If uh, if you're still with us throughout all of this, please tell your friends and check us out, like us, we, subscribe, and all that stuff. And are we still huge in uh, Tucson? I think so, yeah. And to our phones, our friends in Tucson, uh, hello, nice to hear you. Nice to see you. Keep on listening, and we'll uh, do this again uh, next week with uh, Beck and Millhaven. Just saying, on the Big Five Fifty KTRS, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time. Bye bye. Yeah, that boy. Timing, man. Timing and comedy is everything, and there is no timing. Let's try this again, okay? Till next time. Is this where I insert the Flintstones? Yeah, no, never mind. Never mind. It's not worth it. Wilma <laughs> Webb. It's a it's a gray line. <laughs> Help me! Help me! Bye bye. A Huda Media Production.